Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. Or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with durable colors that last all season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. The year was 1997, and Lee was late to work. I lived near the subway, but I never took the subway. So I, my car broke down that day, so I, had, I didn't have a choice to take the subway in. And then Loann... Yeah. It was my first time. Going on, yeah, first yeah. time going on the subway. And that second voice there is Loann. At the time, Lee was a dental student and preferred to drive. But Loann, she was a totally new immigrant. She had come to the United States only about three days prior. Lee thought she needed some help. I was walking down the stairs, and then she, to me, she looked lost. So I just approached her, and I asked if she needed help. And then that's how we met. Yeah. And I remember you, you said... Uh, um, at that time, I didn't um, speak English very well, so I just asked him, are you Vietnamese? And he said, no, I am Chinese. And said, okay, forget it, <laughs> because I don't know how to speak Chinese. <laughs> and Lee didn't know how to speak Vietnamese. They had to kind of fumble together with the very little language they shared. Luan, were you lost <laughs> when he approached you? Um, actually, um, I wasn't lost at all. I just was nervous because my first time I see the, the um, subway. So, and I, um, I didn't speak English. So I'm worried. Right. So I just say, here's my phone number. Written on his student doctor card. And then she got off the train, right? And then... You- and then I'm, I went home. I showed my sister about his car. And the whole family said, oh, he's mm-hmm. a liar. No <laughs> student doctor here. <laughs> it was an extremely unlikely meeting. Two subway passengers united by their distaste for the subway. But for Lee and Loanne, that meet-cute changed their lives. Despite the fact that they had no shared language, Lee was taken. Loanne's demeanor, her smile, the way she dressed, it's still the image he has of her in his head. I remember going to the lab, and it was uh, I saw my Vietnamese friend. And I said, look, I met someone, she's Vietnamese, and I think I'm going to marry her. <laughs> So, you yeah. knew already? So, uh, yeah, yeah. You knew uh, from the first meeting? I did. It was oh weird. Oh my it was god! Weird. And for Loan, the first one he impressed me because um, he looked very hing. Uh, hing, huh? It, um, what's that word for hing? Not gentle, I guess. Kind, someone who looked kind, and yeah. So. When I see him, he looked like very. Um, gentle? Gentle, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so yeah. that's attracted me. Spoiler alert, Lee and Loanne Thatch are still together, almost 25-some years later, obviously still crazy about each other. Married with children, in fact. They fell in love without a common language, but over the years, Lee learned Vietnamese and Loanne learned English. To me, there's nothing more romantic than learning a language for someone else. And between the two of them, they did it twice. If there's one thing that I hear a lot when it comes to successful relationships, it's communication, communication, 
communication. Communication in relationships goes so far beyond just conversation. There's the nonverbal stuff like physical attraction, body language, and someone's smile. That all speaks volumes. When it comes to conversation, there's actually so much going on below the surface, unconscious things happening in our language that may even predict the success or failure of our relationship. From Crooked Media and Duolingo, I'm Amadal Yakbar, and this is Radiolingo. Today's episode, That's Amore. Okay, but I'm getting ahead of myself. We heard about Lee and Loanne's subway meet-cute. What about the early days of their relationship? In the beginning, we wrote. I wrote her a lot of notes and letters and stuff too. But think she would look, you know, look things up if if it's something she didn't understand. Yeah, so that's we communicate a lot of cards and and notes and letters. Yeah, in the beginning, anyway. But is it the language you primarily communicate in is English? What language are you primarily communicating in now? Now it's Vietnamese. So even okay. with our kids, yeah. In my personal life, I'm surrounded by couples like Lee and Loanne, both from my parents' generation and my own. Couples where multiple languages were spoken by each partner with English as a common language. That goes for me and my wife as well. We both speak Urdu and English, but her family speaks Amharic. We've recently been looking into Amharic lessons, but wow, it's a long, difficult process. For couples like us, usually the easier option is to default to our common language, while picking up only words or phrases in the partner's language. Partnering with someone who isn't fluent in your first language raises some thorny questions. What language should we speak as a couple, both at home and in the world? Should I learn my partner's language even if it's not spoken where we live? What if we have kids? What should they speak? You'll want to have answers for when things get serious. So I wanted to reach out to a therapist who helps interlinguistic and intercultural couples navigate this minefield. So um, my name is Kirsten Lind Seal. I um I am a doctoral-level licensed marriage and family therapist. The rise of intercultural couples in the U.S. is significant over the last, like, 20 years. The joke in my, um, or a saying in my field is that all couples are cross-cultural couples. But I would say, I would argue, some couples are more cross-cultural than others. And intercultural couples need help navigating their relationships, same as any other couple. No marriage or relationship is ever 50-50. That's just, that just doesn't happen. And it's when the relationship gets very imbalanced that those are the couples that will come and find me. The advice Dr. Lynn Seal has for intercultural couples is pretty similar to what we all might hear in any relationship. Be kind, be open, more communication is better. And for multilingual couples, that can mean putting in effort to learn each other's languages. Because what that says is it's a basic respect for where the other person is coming from. You know, maybe switching off days. Like this may seem, this is a very concrete suggestion, but you know, one day speak in French, one day speak in English, right? One day speak in Urdu, one day speak in English. It's that intentionality um, that I think is really important. And then when we add on that to think about cultures, right? To sort of think about the cultural piece about meeting each other in a, what I would call a both and fashion. Not an either or, but a both and. What I find so admirable about Lee and Loan is that they seem to have figured this out very quickly. Lee started tuning in to the Vietnamese being spoken around him when he visited Loan. They held hands and watched Vietnamese TV, which is very cute. But eventually, Lee had to learn to speak. And I remember being in big groups with her family. I would be very quiet. I wouldn't really say much. I would absorb a lot. 
And then they probably thought I was taking that as being very shy, which I'm not that shy. I was just learning, observing. And then I think even after a month, I was able to at least say things, maybe not correctly. So No, not a month. Not a month. Like a year later. A year? Okay. Okay. <laughs> a year. <laughs> learning another language is the result of a lot of hard, slow work. And even if you get to a high level of fluency in that language, you might not be able to easily express everything. It might seem obvious, but the languages we learn earliest usually have more emotional resonance, more emotional depth for us. But if you communicate with your romantic partner in a second language that you learn mostly in school or in professional settings, Dr. Lynn Seal says that could be a challenge. So if someone is like, say, really good, you know, like working in tech, they'll learn all the English in tech, but that doesn't mean that they've learned the English for talking about really deep emotions or, you know, really trying to explain how how they feel, um, you know, sort of deserved by their partner or if they feel betrayed or left out or lonely. That's obviously a challenging situation. So I thought of a couple who found joy in that challenge. Good morning, Emmett. How are you? This is David Toborowski. He's an American from Kentucky. Hi there. And this is his wife, Annie Sawan, who met David in Thailand only a few years after she learned English. Now, I had taught in Thailand for two and a half years. My Thai is very, very little. Annie taught herself English at the age of 21. What was the communication like in those early days? How did you <laughs> really express that you were interested in each other? And what role did, you know, kind of language um, play in that attraction? Uh, at the first match, my English is, you know, I'm able to communicate, but not in everything. But, you know, when you're there, you meet in person, the body language is also help a lot. So I have been burying the lead a little. If you're a fan of reality TV, you may recognize these two. David and Annie are 90-day royalty, as my friends told me. That is the TV show 90 Day Fiancé from TLC. The show follows Americans and their international spouses on their journey to marriage on a K-1 visa. Not all the couples stay together, but David and Annie? Almost six years in September. They say nonverbal communication is a big part of what makes things work. And as far as expressing with love, I mean, body language, you know, when it comes to interpersonal relationships, sex, I mean, that's easy. I mean, people obviously had sex long before there was language, you know, it was, um, that's just part of life. And laughter with <laughs> us and listening to what she says in body language, so I have a better understanding. And after so long, she might say a word that's so off, but yeah, I understand what she means. Nonverbal communication really helped when David met Annie's family, because David can understand some Thai, but Annie's family speaks no English, and... They speak a dialect called Isan, which is a mixture of Thai and Laotian. Where she's from, the closest town is on the Mekong River, which is a half mile from Laos. So it's Laotian. So it is difficult because, it, like, for an example, when you say in, you know, Sabaidi Mai, how are you, in Thai, they say... So at first, uh, met, you know, between David and my family, like he just sits right there on the floor and keeps smiling to everybody like a happy Buddha. <laughs> That's the best communication ever. Before I met David and Annie, I wasn't that familiar with 90 Day Fiancé beyond a few clips, but the concept has always really surprised me. It usually involves people with little exposure to the United States and a long distance or rapid courtship. And most of the clips I've seen have been of people arguing. Total communication meltdown. Many of the couples end up separating. 
For Annie and David, things weren't always easy. If you missed the show, David struggled a lot during their courtship. He had to borrow money to pay for dowry and tickets back home. His children didn't approve. But despite that, David worked on himself and got his life together. And the two of them are still married, happily married. Their joy and the effort they put into maintaining that joy is inspiring to their fans. And we had somebody come up to us the other day and said, They've been married for 25 years, and they said, we want to buy you a drink. Why? You know, um, you showed us what love is. Like, you've been married for 25 years. The most important thing is when the camera turns off, when they turn TV off, we stay who we are still. And, you know, continue with our love and laughing and joking aloud and try to live our best life. It's not hard to fall for a stranger, but sticking with it, committing to a longer, slower process of getting to know each other through body language or letters or translation apps while learning a whole new language, that's brave. But for those of us in monolingual couples, it usually is the first conversation that determines whether we have a second date. And the conversation on the second date leads to five more until we talk about staying together for longer or not. After the break, we're going to meet somebody who studies those early dating conversations and how the language we use in our relationships can predict whether we'll stay together. We know that two people who are connecting with each other, who are paying close attention to each other, tend to have the same body language. This is Jamie Pennebaker. He's a psychology professor at UT Austin. One person moves forward, the other one moves forward. One person crosses their legs, the other one does so. And this is the same issue, I think, with language. Jamie studies how the language we use can be the key to understanding our personalities and our behavior in social situations. If we match in nonverbal communication, Jamie's work suggests we match in language, too. And what better place to observe this language matching than in conversations between couples? So we like to think we know a lot about a couple just by the way they talk to each other. Oh, did you hear how much he interrupted her? Not a good sign. Or the sweet words they use when they talk about her, the two of them are so in love. But Jamie isn't a matchmaker, a gossip, or a therapist. He's a scientist who likes cold, hard data. He uses a text analysis technique called language style matching that measures the subconscious ways that couples match their speaking styles. We're able to go in and get a sense of how people are thinking, how they're connecting with others. Can we use their language to predict what will happen with their relationship? When I heard this, I thought, of course people who have similar interests will talk about similar things and that will help them connect. But he's not looking at words that express content. It's all the little words that conjoin our way of speaking and structure our sentences. Words like but, and, these, he, their. Prepositions and pronouns and things like that. Jamie calls them function words. They're the shortest words in every language. They're the most common words. And and they are processed in the brain very differently than content words. Words like table and chair, walk. You know, these are hard words that convey content. And these function words are these little words in between all these content words. One example Penna Baker writes about illustrates this difference. Imagine two people, one who works in an office and another who works in a rock quarry. When they talk about how their workday went, they're going to be using very different content words. One might talk about filing a report, while the other might talk about a piece of heavy machinery. But the way they use function words might have a lot of overlap, and that might reveal something about their relationship's future. 
If two people are connecting, they use these word, these these function words at very similar rates. And if they're not connecting, they don't. In other words, they're on the same page or they're not. And we can pick this up with language. It's not that you're using more or less function words. It's the rate and frequency of certain kinds of function words. It's complicated, and there's a fair amount of math involved, but the results are intriguing. One of the first projects Jamie did was a study he did alongside one of his students. They had a really juicy data set. Transcripts from speed dates. They talked to a, a prospective date for five minutes, and then they afterwards would rate how much they uh, would be interested in going on a real date with them. And then we, we would then do an analysis to see how closely the two people matched in this language style matching method. And what we found was we could predict who'd go on a subsequent date at higher rates than the people themselves. It's kind of like a chicken or an egg question. Like, did they find themselves attracted to each other because they already spoke that way? Or in the course of meeting this new person, did they begin to start using language similarly? It was a little bit of both. In other words, two people who naturally speak in a certain way, and, and if they're similar, those are more likely to have a high style matching connection afterwards. So that's part of it. But there's also a another kind of magic ingredient where s sometimes the two of them start to talk and all of a sudden, even though they're not similar, their language, uh, they, they start glomming together. And what that magic ingredient is, I have no idea. So when two people start connecting, have chemistry, feel a vibe, they'll begin to mirror each other's speech patterns in a process often referred to as accommodation. That office worker won't suddenly have a wealth of knowledge about marble, but the rhythm of their speech will begin to sound like the rock quarry worker, and vice versa. Jamie told me that social scientists have observed the same effect in couples who speak languages other than English. It looks like no matter what language is spoken, language style matching predicts a successful connection. And to be clear, all of this is subconscious. And it's not as though I now can say, okay, I want you two to start paying attention to each other's language and start to mimic it. We can't do that. If I say, pay really close attention to that other person, you will, by definition, start to talk like that person. That's the way our attention works. So you can't just try to imitate the way your crush talks and hope it'll work out. This happens entirely subconsciously as a product of mutual attraction and openness to connection. You seem very tickled by your work. <laughs> and, well, it's just, you, you know, there's nothing more exciting than discovering stuff that you've never thought about, you've never seen before. So for me, it's just like, this is like uh, being in a candy store all the time. Okay, so what about more established couples? Can a lack of language style matching predict a breakup? He and another one of his students devised a study. We found college students who were in a uh, long-term relationship and who used instant messaging uh, on a daily basis. And to be in our study, they would agree to give us uh, 10 days of their instant messages. Oh my God, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, come on, this is science. We found the couples. We had them fill out a questionnaire in terms of how close are you, how you know, how much do you care about each other, how likely do you think you'll be together in six months, and, and questions such as that. 
And then we simply went in and analyzed their text. They found that couples whose texts did not match were less likely to stay together. But the wild thing was, when Jamie compared the couple's language matching scores to how they thought the relationship was going... There was absolutely no relationship to what they thought and whether or not they were together much further. In other words, the people themselves can't tell how their relationship is going, but their style matching score can. A form of analysis that knows my relationships better than myself... It's a pretty terrifying thought. I do not want Mark Zuckerberg to have this technology. But Pennebaker says he only uses it for good and isn't tempted to turn the lens onto his own relationships. You know, um, I've been married almost 50 years, so it's been a long time since I was in a breakup. Your language matching is very good. (laughs) That's, That's what I think. Well, it, it really helps to be married to someone that you really like and you you were able to have conversations with. Same, Jamie. Same. So can I share my love story now? It actually has a lot to do with language. My future wife and I had a whole semester of Urdu together in college. We didn't talk to each other, though. We had our first conversation the first day of the following semester. And in the swirling cold wind of a Michigan winter... We talked for two hours straight. There was a vibe. I'm willing to bet we would have gotten some crazy high language style matching scores. We were just friends for a long time after, but we'd take the time to tap out basic text messages in Urdu as our friendship grew. We wanted to practice. And as we finally started dating, continuing to practice that language became a big part of our story. And now we're taking on a new project together, learning the language of her paternal family, Amharic. I'm excited, guys. I'm very excited. (laughs) Our first Amharic class was just a few weeks ago. Yes, Lee and Loanne really inspired me. I'm not sure we'll have as much success as them, but even just taking that first step, being open, is huge. Now, um, Ahmed, you're going to ask Salima. Okay. Uh, Salam, Sime Ahmed, no, Simishman, no. Okay, so that was literally day one. Sorry, it's a little awkward to begin, but I know the work will be worth it. This was our last episode of this season of Radio Lingo. Thanks for coming on this linguistic journey with us. I know I learned so much. The hidden hand of language that shapes our world is a little bit more visible to me. I hope it's a little bit more visible to you too. And if you have lingering questions or stories about language, send them my way. I'm on Twitter at RadBrownDads. Radio Lingo is an original podcast from Duolingo and Crooked Media. I'm Amadel Yakbar, your host, writer, and producer. From Crooked Media, executive producers are Sandy Gerard and Katie Long. From Duolingo, executive producers are Laura Maycumber and Timothy Shea. This episode was produced and co-written by Brian Semmel and story edited by Lacey Roberts. Our theme and original music is by Carly Bond, with mixing, sound design, and additional music by Hannes Brown. Additional research and production support from Crooked Media's Ari Schwartz and Duolingo's Cindy Blanco, Emily Chu, Alexa Fernandez, and Hope Wilson. Special thanks to Crooked Media's Danielle Jensen and Gabriella Leverett, and Duolingo's Michaela Crone, Monica Earle, and Sam Dalsimer for promotional support.